Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Mile End service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. We are taking a short break to do a mini-series called An Undivided Life, which Joel will kick off for us this evening. Uh, Before he comes up, I'm just going to read the passage that he'll be speaking from, which is Psalm 27, and the words should be behind me on the screens as well. Psalm 27 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my savior, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. Please join me in welcoming Joel as he comes to share with us this evening. Happy New Year, friends. Uh, Did you know that Christchurch London turns 20 this year? Isn't that exciting? In the autumn, October of this year, uh, we will be 20 years old. I don't know what that means. I guess 21 is a big year in our lives, but 20, we can celebrate 20. Um, But I am uh, really excited about what God is going to do this year. I feel like... Uh, he's been stirring lots of things in us these past year, uh, past years, uh, stirring this uh, desire to want to see God move in ways we've not seen before. Uh, we often call this revival or awakening. And um, really, at the back of back end of last year, uh, we were praying as a team. And uh, I don't know if you've been in environments like this where you were praying with other people, uh, seeking God for something, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit kind of emphasizes or focuses your mind onto something somebody is sharing, because you feel like, oh, God is, God is here, God is saying something. And we had a moment like this uh, last year that actually became the uh, foundation for this sermon series, An Undivided Life, where uh, some of the staff team were praying, and Adnan um, shared something that he felt that God was speaking for the whole church. And he said that he felt that God was uh, seeking uh, a people that will go after him wholeheartedly, that will be fully and utterly undivided in their love for him living with undivided loyalty, devotion, 
obedience and passion to Jesus. And in many ways, that's like, that's something we would say kind of every Sunday, really. But for, for whatever reason, God like changed the atmosphere or the energy. I can't really describe it in any other way. For all of us, we all felt like, oh, God's really speaking to us here. And there's something here for us. And uh, Adnan, he referenced Elijah and how Elijah's mission was to restore Israel to the true uh, God, to worshipping God, turning their hearts away from idols and idolatry back to the heart of God. And to quote the words of Elijah in 1 Kings verse 18, it says this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And this word opinion in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean simply your view on things or in my opinion. Uh, it actually means to be divided in mind. How long will you be divided in mind? If the Lord is God, follow him. If not, then follow that. Now, as I was uh, praying and thinking about this, uh, this invitation from God to a renewed commitment, uh, both personally for me, for us as leaders, but for the whole church, um, I just kept coming back to this uh, idea really eloquently put by uh, the writer Anne Dillard. She said this, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And it's my growing conviction that the overarching narrative or the dreams or the calling or the vision that we have for our life, uh, if you want to use that kind of language, is built upon the small, minute decisions and habits that we take every day. The things we do today and the things we'll do tomorrow and the next, they make up the vast scope of what our life will become. And if I could tweak or add to Dillard's quote, just to articulate what I want to talk about today as we think about what it looks like to live an undivided life, as we seek to be more and more devoted to Jesus, I would say this. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And how we want to spend our life should shape how we spend our days. Because I think we can spend our time, our days, perpetually waiting. Waiting for something to happen, or procrastinating, or putting things off. Either because we don't fully know exactly what it is we want to spend our lives on. We have no real vision of what life could be, or what our life could look like. Or we're increasingly fragmented or pulled apart by competing priorities that are vying for our attention. Everything feels urgent, everything feels important, everything feels like it's going to offer us the good life. But as we think about this series, just to start this year, which is obviously an opportune moment given it's the new year, uh, I think for us the invitation is to focus, not on success or self-help or pleasure, but an undivided, wholehearted devotion to Jesus. And so what does that mean and how do we do it? Well, I think Psalm 27 uh, gives us a blueprint for what an undivided life could look like. It's almost like a manifesto for what devotion to God could be. And I think if you ever need a psalm to remind you or uh, some piece of scripture to remind you who God is and how faithful he is, this is the psalm for you. Like this is one of my favorite psalms. It's both inspiring but also really challenging. It's not a psalm or a poem that escapes from the realities of life. The author David speaks of violence and oppression and evil. But the confidence and the assurance that he has in who God is and his own convictions about how he's going to live his life, how he's going to meet that adversity, I think is staggering. This is an unwavering statement that whatever happens, I know who I am, I know who I'm following, and I know how I want my life 
to be, and I know who I'm putting my trust in. So what's his secret? Well, I think the, the, the key could be found in verse 4, and I think this is almost like the, the center point for the psalm. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, if we were to ask for one thing from the Lord, what would it be? Or if we could distill all of our hopes and dreams for our life, what would the one thing look like? Now, we know that David didn't uh, always live up to this vision. David's life is full of inconsistencies, full of moments of goodness and beauty, and also the worst displays of human behavior that you would not relate to the words of this psalm. But when I read this psalm, I, I kind of long for that clarity and conviction that he writes with. With all the distractions that we are faced with in life, reading this psalm, it creates in me this longing. I want this to be my one thing too, with all of the mistakes that I will make, with all of the things pulling me apart and fragmenting my life. I want this to be my one thing. It's like this reminder of what our life could be or what our life will be. And in it, David uses these three verbs to articulate that one thing for him. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To dwell, to gaze, and to seek. To dwell means to plant yourself, to be present to and to be with. And to gaze means to focus on and give your attention to. And to seek means the continual pursuit of this thing, his presence. No distractions, no other way fragmenting who he is, his sole purpose, and the thing that made sense of everything else was to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze at his beauty, and to seek him in his temple. Now, the American poet Mary Oliver, in her final collection of essays, describes this moment in her childhood that began with her fascination with being present to the often ignored normal parts of life. She recalls being lost in the woods from her parents as a child, but instead of panicking or crying, the kind of adrenaline of that moment uh, gave her a heightened sense of the world around her. She saw the trees in a different way and saw how different but similar all of the plants looked like. And she concludes uh, this essay with, I think, just a sentence that sticks in my mind so much is this. Attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. If this one thing from Psalm 27 is to be yours, if that's what you want your life to be all about, if that's what you want 2024 to be all about, if you're to devote yourself to Jesus and his kingdom, attention is the beginning of devotion. What's got your gaze? What are you looking for? What do you seek? Now, to meet someone who fully embodies the words of this psalm, I think is rare, because so often we're uh, so divided in mind or fragmented or distracted, there is so much vying for our attention. This feeling that our mind or our body, our habits or our lives are just off kilter, not creating in us this peace or wholeness or sense that we're unified in what we're living for. There's a restlessness that no amount of scrolling seems to cure. And as a society, we are facing more anxiety, more low self-esteem, more anger, more loneliness, and perpetual exhaustion. So what is the cause of all that? What's the deeper thing going on? And if you're like me and you want the words of the psalm to be my words, to be your words, if you want this to be your one thing, what can pull us away from that vision? What can pull us away from that desire? Well, let's look at three. 
Number one is simply distraction. Distraction from seeking the one thing. Now, David didn't leave uh, any of his other responsibilities, even though this psalm is such a kind of blatant statement about his convictions. He didn't leave his other responsibilities that he has or had. And I'm not saying or suggesting that in order to dwell or to gaze or to seek for this one thing, we've all got to go quit our jobs and start a monastery. Uh, although Mladins would probably love that, and I, I would too, to be honest. Uh, but what, what he's saying is, and what Jesus actually affirms later on in Matthew 6, is that when we, when we make the pursuit of God that one thing, when he becomes the first love and the vision for our life, everything else finds their place. Jesus said that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But the challenge we're faced with is that we live in a world that is relentlessly trying to distract us from that one thing. And we've lost sight of the greatest love that puts all other, all other loves in its proper place. Richard Foster said that distraction is the primary spiritual problem in contemporary culture. Frankly, when we are perpetually distracted, we are unable to discern the voice of the Lord. Now, in the time of Elijah, if you were there, you would see physical idols to Baal and to other gods, uh, dangerous distractions uh, from, uh, from God and from seeking him. And although the idols of our time aren't necessarily as blatant as that, they still exist. And it's so easy to feel the draw from them, to feel kind of pulled apart or pulled away from this one thing that David talks about. Whether that is money or career or success or sex and relationships or getting on the property ladder or comfort, they're all trying to become this one thing, this one thing we want to attain or achieve in our life. And remember, idolatry, an idol can be a good thing, but a good thing that become, becomes an idol when it becomes that one thing, when it becomes the ultimate thing in our life. And Jesus warned us of this. He articulated, articulated it as the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. And so we're not just distracted by the idols of this world, trying to get our attention. We're also distracted by the worries of this world. Whether that is our job, or financial security, our struggling marriage, or desire to be married, the climate crisis, or conflicts around the world we can do nothing about, maybe sickness, or life just not turning out as you hoped it would. All these things, all these worries, legitimate worries, they can weigh us down. They can feel like weights, literally, as we walk around trying to live our life. And maybe even in a moment like this, you just don't feel like you've even got the energy to think about what this one thing could be. We feel perpetually distracted, fragmented, pulled apart, and lost. Number two. It gets better. It gets happier. Um, and this one, I could easily have made this part of the first point, but it's such an issue and problem, I think, uh, that it, it warrants its own point, um, which is this. Technology has got our gaze. Now, this word, uh, gaze, I think is such a good word when we think about how we use technology. Uh, in Psalm 27, we get this vision of gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, but it's more likely for us in our time, we spend more time gazing at this little thing in our pocket than we do at the Lord. Technology is after our gaze. Uh, in her article in the New York Times called The Empty Religion of Instagram, How Did Influence Become Our Moral Authorities? Uh, Lee Stein wrote this. I don't think she's a follower of Jesus, but she wrote this. Many millennials who have turned their backs on religious tradition because it isn't sufficiently diverse or inclusive have found alternative scripture online. Our new belief system is a blend of left-wing political orthodoxy, intersexual feminism, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and Dolly Parton. She went on to describe uh, after 
Uh, one influencer posted this, this post that you'll see that says, I believe in you, this is a hard thing, we can do hard things. Uh, she describes um, reading all the sadness that she felt as she read a, a comment on this post uh, of a woman who basically unloaded all of the hardship she'd gone through in that year, like serious, serious hardship. But the sadness came when, when no one responded. There was, there was no reply, there was, there was nothing, just silence. A confession without a confessor is how uh, Stein described it. And she went on to say that we're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Instead of helping us to engage with our most important questions, our screens might be distracting us from them. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. Amen to that. Contrary to what you might have seen on Instagram, our purpose is not to optimize our one wild and precious life. It's time to search for meaning beyond the electric church that keeps us addicted to our phones and alienated from our closest kin. Here's what I think she's articulating. Technology has got our gaze, but it isn't looking back at us. Technology has our time, but it's not sacrificing for us. And perhaps technology has our heart, but it doesn't love us back. And we've been made to, we've been made to gaze at the beauty of the Lord. And in that gaze, we see loving eyes looking back at us. We've exchanged that for a screen. It's just this reminder from the psalm. We are made to gaze at the beauty of the Lord. So we're distracted from the one thing. Technology has our gaze. Finally, disordered loves creates habits that have all the days of our life. Now remember the quote from Dillard? What we do with our days is what we do with our lives. And I thought verse 8 of this psalm was uh, really interesting. It says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And it almost suggests this synergy between what you love, my heart says seek his face, my heart, my desire, and your action. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And James K. Smith wrote a whole book on this called You Are What You Love, and he describes that every habit, action, and practice that we instill in our life, either consciously or subconsciously, is animated by longings and desires and loves that are all leading us to some version of the good life. But he also describes what he calls an uncomfortable realization, which is this, you might not love what you think. He gives the example of the Russian film Stalker, which follows three men on a journey, the professor, the writer, and the stalker, who acts as their guide. It's set in this dystopian world, uh, and they're trying to find the zone, and specifically the room within the zone. And the stalker has told the other two followers, or companions, that the room will give you your heart's desire. In that room, you get exactly what you want. And then when they finally arrive at the threshold of this room, they stop, and they get cold feet. What if they don't know what they truly want? What if their truest desire is not what they think it is? Smith then writes this, if I ask you, a Christian, to tell me what you really want, what you most deeply long for, what you ultimately love, well, of course, you know the right answer. You know what you ought to say. And what you state could be entirely genuine and authentic, a true expression of your intellectual conviction. But would you want to step into the room? Are you confident that what you think you love aligns with your innermost longings. And in quoting from Zona, a book about the film Stalker, he writes, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your life, by your daily life and habits. If you want to know what you're truly devoted to, your deepest desire, if you want to know where your life is headed and what has captured the vision for your life, look at your diary, look at your screen time, look at your habits, how you spend your days is how you'll spend your life. What's got your attention? What's caught your gaze? Distractions from seeking the one thing. Technology has got our gaze. Disordered loves create habits that have all the days of our life. This is the recipe for a living, a divided, fragmented life. 
But what's the alternative? What could it look like to begin to put into practice a life devoted to following Jesus and making that the one thing that I seek? Well, firstly, kind of the, I guess the first step is, is going on a journey to decide what that one thing is going to be. To use Elijah's question, pick who you want to follow. And there's, a, I think, a really neat parallel here with Jesus and how he, and how he called his followers. If you remember from the Gospels, when he meets his first disciples, in fact, when he meets really anyone, he never says, like, love me or be devoted to me. He never says that. What does he say? Follow me. He says, follow me. Spend time with me. Give me your attention. Be uh, my disciple. Learn from me. And it was in the following day to day that love and devotion grew. And it's an identity as a follower of Jesus, as we follow his steps, as we follow him as our teacher, that means we should want to become a certain kind of person who does certain kinds of things that reflect who Jesus is. Now, I also say journey, go on a journey to decide who you want to follow intentionally, because for most uh, of us, this decision to follow Jesus can take a long time. It can take a moment, but it can actually take years to decide, no, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to make him my, my teacher, my Lord. But you are following something. And the invitation here is to follow Jesus, to give him your attention, to give him your gaze, to give him your devotion. And if we're going to live a Psalm 27 kind of life, a life devoted to seeking God and following him, I think it starts with just being present and giving him our attention today and tomorrow. What we're present to has our attention, it has our gaze, and therefore it has our devotion. Justin Whitmore early in his book, Common Rule, compared this journey of following Jesus and and giving him your attention with the relationship he has with his children. He says this, that when I'm with them, I'm actually with them. They have my gaze, which is to say they have my attention, which is to say they have my love. Presence means attention, which leads to devotion and love. What's got your gaze? What's got your attention? Because of all of this and... Uh, all of the, I guess, the time of year and all of the, the things that we might want to set in place in our life and the New Year's resolutions and, and all that kind of stuff, I do want to kind of get practical and just suggest a few things that you might want to do to begin to give God your attention tomorrow. And these might seem really small and kind of in some ways irrelevant, although I don't think they are, but you might think, well, how is this relevant? But I think it, it hinges on this idea of uh, from Dillard that if uh, if how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, it's really important what we do today and tomorrow and the next day. That will just build and build and build and become uh, the, the whole of our life. So I want to suggest a few practical things that we might want to do over this year. Two for each day, one for each week, and one for each year. And the aim here is to integrate these into your life so they become almost like second nature to you, part of your habit, so that this Psalm 27 vision Uh, of your presence, your attention, and your devotion can start to be integrated into your life over time. But before um, before I get into some of the practical stuff, Psalm 27 reminds us of something super important that we often forget. It says that we are gazing at the beauty of the Lord. When it comes to application or putting things in practice to begin or, or continue to follow Jesus, often it kind of feels more like duty than it does beauty. You know, if I don't pray or if I don't read my Bible or if I don't do all these things, I have this sort of perpetual sense of guilt or I'm not doing it right or whatever it might be. And so 
almost the first overarching thing I want you to embrace as you think about what it looks like to follow Jesus is to embrace failure. Like that is just going to happen in your walk with God. Embrace failure, but resist legalism. We're not doing these things for the sake of doing them. We're doing them because they have a purpose. They have an end goal in mind, which is him, which is Jesus. Um, but embrace failure on your walk with Jesus. If you begin a journey like this, to slowly, over time, reorientate your life and your habits so they better reflect whatever this one thing, and I hope it's Jesus, is going to be in your life, you will fail. You will make mistakes. You will fail a lot. But my encouragement for us uh, is when we think about what the gospel is, the key aspect of what the gospel is, um, failure is actually just another word for grace. Like when we fail, it's just another opportunity for us to receive the grace of God. And when we fail, uh, rather than just giving up and being like, oh, it was too hard, either we just sort of tweak or, or do a smaller step or whatever it might be, or we just say, God, thank you that you are full of grace and truth and that I am not defined by my mistakes, but by you and your love for me. Like failure is another opportunity to experience the grace of God in our lives. Embrace failure, resist legalism. Now, what we're trying to do is recalibrate our life, recalibrate our habits and our attention to devote ourselves to God. These are the means, not the end point. But failure it is the pathway. Uh, that, that's just the reality for us. Here's early again. Uh, failure is the pathway. Beauty is the destination. We walk toward beauty on the path of failure, which is to say that formation occurs at the interplay of failure and beauty. No habits can be pursued for the purpose of success or productivity or a new and better you. They must be done for the vision of beauty. If the goal is self-help, failure will destroy you. But if the goal is beauty, failure makes that goal shine all the more brightly. So you get up and keep walking. So, some practical things. How might it look like to reorientate our lives, to devote our days to Jesus? What are the small steps we can take in light of some of the distractions that we're faced with, technology, our phones, all these things that are kind of pulling apart, what are the things we can do uh, to put into place? And these are things that I've done in my life, so they've worked for me, so they may not work for you, and that's totally fine, but you might want to take the heart or the core of what these things are and adapt them or tweak them for your own life. Like this is just, I'm just sort of throwing stuff out here, hoping that something might uh, resonate. So um, first one, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Every day, Embrace reading scripture, prayer, or spending time in silence before you open your phone. Gaze at God, not at your screen, as you start your day. Let God shape your day, not anything else. Now, have you ever had this experience where um, you're in bed, you've just woken up, and you get your phone, check your emails, or check WhatsApp, or whatever, and you get an email that fills you with dread, or you get a text that just fills you with anger or hurt or pain. Has anyone have, have, ever had that experience? Thank you for the honesty. Well, well most, most of us, great. Like, why do we do that to ourselves? That's a horrible way to start the day. Like, I remember, do, I remember this before. I've shared this before, but like maybe four or five years ago where this happened. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is just setting my day off in just the worst way possible. Like, um, it, it makes that kind of the prayer. Or that's what I give to God rather than making space for God to speak to me and, and set my day in motion and see what he's got to say to me about what this day is going to bring. And if I decide to spend time with him before I face the challenges of the day, because that email is still going to be there, that text is still going to be there. But if I say, read Psalm 27, I'm going to be in such a better place to face the challenges of, of the day. If I've like, eaten up that truth, like if I've absorbed that truth for my life, 
that all of the challenges, all of the evil, all of the injustice, all of the stuff that we are faced with, as Psalm 27 says, but we're just reminded of who God is, that he'll, he's our stronghold, he's our safe place. Who are we to fear? He's our light and our salvation. Like reading that, getting that in us will just set, our, set us up in such a better way uh, to live, uh, to not just respond emotionally to those things in the first place, but also react like appropriately as a follower of Jesus would in those moments as well. Like it's just such a better way to start the day. So there's a couple of things you could do, like don't sleep next to your phone, just resist the temptation, put it somewhere else in the house, buy an alarm clock. We bought an alarm clock, like a physical one. In fact, someone told me over Christmas they bought an alarm clock, and I was like, people listen to me. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jesus. Um, but that, that, was a, that, was a, that was a win for me. Uh, but, um, and uh, I saw, obviously say prayer, I say scripture, and I'll give you some, some recommended resources in a bit. But I say silence because it's been my experience often where I, um, I can kind of, and this maybe happens less when you're following a guide or, or um, a scripture plan or whatever, uh, but you kind of, you start, you want to spend time with God, but you don't really know where to start, you don't really know what to read or what to say, and I've just found silence to be a really helpful practice, just to almost allow the anxieties and worries of my life to surface, and then I can just bring them to God, whatever is kind of going on here, um, with no distraction, I can sort of really listen to my own body, my own heart, my own mind, hear what's really going on, and just say, God, I give it to you. Um, and invite God into that silence. That's just been a really helpful practice um, for me. Uh, and then I will read scripture or pray as well. Um, but that's, that, that could be something that you do. Um, and then, as I said, then you pick up your phone. Then you can face the text. Then you can face the email. And you're just in such a better place to do that. So that's the first one. Next. And I think this is a big one. Um, but uh, I actually heard someone did this this morning, so that was another one for me. Uh, but this is, this is the one. So take back control for when you want to engage with your phone. And I'm suggesting that you might want to consider turning off your notifications. Um, maybe all of them, maybe some of them, but that's what I'm suggesting. Have you ever gone for dinner or for coffee or been hang hanging out with someone and uh, you're talking, you may be saying something really deep or really profound, and their phone like dings, and th they're trying to like do the sort of, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know they've not heard a word you've said because they've looked at Instagram or whatever it is that they've got this ping for. Like, that's, I hate that so much. Like, stop it. Don't do it. Like, but that's, that's, that's what we do. Like, we're just perpetually, like, told when to engage with this thing in front of us. And we lose either sight of who we're speaking to. Like, we're not loving the person in front of us. Or we're just losing sight of creation or God or whatever moment we're in. Like, we are dictated to when we engage with this thing in our pocket rather than deciding for ourselves when... When should we engage with our phone? When should we engage with the news? When should we engage with social media? Or whatever it might be. So take back control of when you engage uh, with your phone. Be more present. So in, in my life, literally every notification is turned off other than phone calls. So Dee knows if she, there's anything urgent, she can just call me and I'll answer. If, you WhatsApp, if you've ever WhatsApped me and thought, why hasn't Joel texted me back in like three or four days? This is why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's bad. I think I've gone too far, to be honest. In that I just... It's, it's, it is quite bad, and I publicly repent for not replying to some of you in this room, um, even right now. Um, but, uh, but it's really interesting, though, because even now, so even that, so this is like three or four years I've been doing this, even now, if I hear a ping or like a vibration sound from someone else's phone, I still get like a jolt of anxiety, because I feel like, oh, what? It just reminds me of that, that experience I had where 
I just assumed someone was going to text me and there'd be bad news or a, challenge, a problem or whatever or another breaking news thing that was going to say something awful about what's going on in the world. Like, it, it, it physically affected my anxiety. Like, it physically did. And it, I still, I'm still kind of getting over that three or four years later. Um, so if that resonates or if you can relate to that, then maybe there's something here where you can integrate this into your life. And we are probably, all of us, in some way addicted to our phone. If we stop this thing speaking to us, uh, we will choose ourselves when we want to engage with it. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, decide when do you want to engage with the news, when do you want to engage with social media, all this stuff. Just make a decision so you're not unintentional with how you do all this. Um, that's just a suggestion. And actually, in all seriousness, um, if what I, anything I've said has sort of resonated or sort of almost brought up a bit of panic or like, oh, I could never do that, when we worship, just reflect, bring that to God because it, it might be something that is... Um, becoming an addiction or just a, a, a desire to people please or whatever might be going on here. So like, talk to us. We can pray for you, help you. Um, chances are we are all going through something similar to this. So, and Steps is just a brilliant thing, um, as Adnan shared, to, to, to work on this sort of stuff if that helps. Um, so, uh, And just another s- sort of suggestion, I guess, is, is just think through if Psalm 27, if that's going to be what you want your vision of your life to be, what would a person who is living in that way, what would an appropriate amount of screen time be for them? And make that your goal. And just slowly try and make that your goal. Whatever it might be. So that's daily. A couple of things daily. And again, take, or leave, take, take it or leave it. Sam needs to take it. Um, and, uh, but like tweak it. Just, I'm just putting stuff out there for you to integrate and, and think about. What about weekly and yearly? And I promise I'll do this a bit quicker. Um, now these suggestions are more tailored on giving us space to rest and reflect and uh, be rejuvenated in uh, our spirits, our bodies, our souls, like we are in a fragmented, distracting, exhausting world. And these two practices, I think, are super important for followers of Jesus. So the first one is, is a, a week, uh, a day a week where we spend to rest uh, with God's Sabbath, take a Sabbath every week. This is an amazing practice that we've been given, like it's in the fabric of creation, God rested on the seventh day, and he's given that to us to follow. You know, we don't have to work constantly. We don't have to be on every hour of every day. We can take a moment to rest. And I realize this is m- maybe more challenging for those of us who are freelancing or have different work situations, but I just really encourage you, try to find a block of time where you uh, are intentionally every week giving it to both to God and to your community, to other people as well. A day like this, like the Sabbath, is about stopping, it's about resting, it's about worshiping, and delighting. And uh, you can do lots of different things. Often people have Sunday as their uh, Sabbath, where they come to church, they gather with their community, uh, they worship together, um, they maybe don't look at their phone at all or very much. Uh, they just make, do certain things that really instill gratitude and worship towards God, but also rest, joy, delight uh, in your heart. Um, uh, it's, just, it's an amazing gift, and we often don't take it. So uh, that's a suggestion there. And Raph did a great talk on this last year in our Luke series in May. So if you want to listen to more about the Sabbath, you can check that out. And again, I've got some resources to recommend in a moment. So that's every week. And then finally, every year, um, take a retreat to reflect and to rest. Now, of all of the distractions, it can actually just be really difficult to stop and find the time to think through all this stuff. Like thinking through what's the vision of my life or what am I giving myself to? Like all this stuff can feel 
great in practice, but like actually having the time to really think through this can be difficult. And often life can just bring up lots of challenges and difficulties that we just find it really hard to take a moment to, to, take, to take this all in and then put it into practice. And so taking a few consecutive days every year, not as a holiday, but to intentionally pray and seek God can be one of the most life-giving things you do. And I've been doing this for a few years. Like, I can't wait for my next retreat. Nathan and Lydia do it like every, every month. I feel like they're going on retreat. Um, sorry, guys. That's the second time I've pointed you out. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but life, it just doesn't give us the space. Like, it is busy, and that's, that's fine. Um, so taking some time out every year to do this, I think, is, is really transformational. You don't have to go away. You can do this from home. Uh, it can be helpful to get out of a different space, get, to, get, to get out of your kind of regular space to, to have you know, the freedom to, to think. Um, but there's a great retreat center in Limehouse um, called St. Catharines, which I'd highly recommend. It's a beautiful, um, uh, I don't know how you describe it. It's like a courtyard with a garden and a, and a chapel. It's just in the middle of Limehouse. You would never know it's there. Um, and there's guided prayer, guided meditation, spiritual direction if you want that. It's, yeah, check that out, St. Catharines in Limehouse. Um, and you can book, book time there as well. And you can stay there. So that's great. Um, so there's some suggestions. But again, overarching theme, like embrace failure, resist legalism. Like the goal here is Jesus, gazing at the beauty of the Lord, uh, being with him, becoming more like him. This is the goal. Uh, these are just ways in which we can get to that point. So just before I'm done, uh, just a few resources that you might find helpful. These are a few podcasts. Many of you will be familiar with them. Uh, Rule of Life by Practicing the Way. This is on spiritual practices like prayer or solitude or Sabbath. Uh, they go into a little bit more uh, theological depth uh, into some of those things. Uh, Lecture 365 is basically a, a, a guided prayer every day. And so again, if you get to the morning or whatever and you just don't know what to pray, this is just a really helpful tool to, to, um, to pray. And then finally, the Bible uh, with Nikki and Pippa Gumbel, which is uh, reading the Bible in the whole year. And they've got some reflections on that as well. That's a really, really great tool. And then some books. Uh, if you check out Someone Habits, Someone Spiritual Practices, Someone Sabbath and Retreat, you might want to take a photo. I'm not saying you should read every one of these books, but if you're interested, check them out. Um, that one that you can't really read, sorry, is Mythology of the Ordinary by Tish, Harrison Warren. Um, but these are some helpful things that you might want to check out if you want to read some stuff over this year. Um, why don't we stand to our feet, Pete and the band, if you want to come up. And um, I realize I've probably given a lot of content, a lot of quotes, so I just want to give a moment. Um, I'm going to read the psalm again. Just give us a moment for God to uh, remind us of maybe something that spoke to us, stirred our heart, um, something that we felt particularly pertinent to our life right now. I'm just going to read the psalm over us uh, to lead us into worship and just to give us again this vision of Jesus as the one thing, seeking after him, being in his presence, gazing at the beauty of who he is. So um, let me read the psalm to you and uh, then we'll worship before we're done. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advanced against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. 
I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Jesus, we wait for you now. We invite your presence. We seek your face. Be close to us, Lord. Don't turn your face away from us. Speak, Lord Jesus. Capture our hearts with this vision for your, your life, your love, who you are. May each of us hear the words of you, Lord, saying to us, follow me.